welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we begin the week the best way we know how, by talking Indiana basketball and Big Ten hoops. Two quick housekeeping notes off the top. Keep supporting our friends at Homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com, promo code assembly20. Uh, they're doing a really good job supporting people in this time. Uh, number two, if you want to support your local food banks, go to foodpantries.org or feedamerica.org to take care of those people, again, locally who are um, working hard and, and, and trying to make uh, ends meet. A reminder of Assembly Call Radio every Thursday, and also a welcome to Crimson Cast for partnering with us uh, in the podcast realm recently here on Assembly Call. And now I'm pleased to welcome in from the Big Ten Network, the Sporting News, and Fox, one of the hardest working men in college hoops, even when there are no college hoops to cover or sports to cover, period. It's the venerable Mike DeCourcy. Mike, how are you doing on this Monday afternoon? I'm very well, Brian. How are you? I, you know, I noticed that when you're, you're no, now that you're hosting and now that the, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary is playing, I don't get the Be Like Mike uh, intro because, I mean, people would be like, come on, seriously? I mean, you can't compare. So uh, here we are ready to talk some hoops. I'm ready to go. Yeah, and I do apologize. I do have the ability to play those sound clips. Jared hasn't sent me those for these Monday mornings when I when I fill in for, for Jared. But, yeah, that's been a great um, Sunday thing for a lot of us fans to look forward to. As a Chicago Bulls fan growing up near Chicago in northern Indiana, it's been really good to relive some of those things. And just the competitor uh, that we're seeing uh, that he was is, is good for uh, me as a coach, players, and everyone to watch. So that's been been good. But we're going to talk a little bit about some Indiana topics and – how they translate to some of the Big Ten or national scene here. And so let's get started right away. Since we've last talked, I believe Demise Anderson has put his name into the transfer portal. Uh, quick question, what does that mean for uh, Demise going forward as a young man, uh, as a basketball player, and then what does it mean for the Indiana basketball roster going into next year? Well, I think it opens up an opportunity, depending on what Demise does with his future. I, I think he's a fine player. I think that the game moves a little fast for him at the Big Ten level. And so I would hope that he would find a home. One of the things that has disappointed me over the last 10 to 15 years in the way transfers process themselves is that I don't think that they give themselves often a realistic self-evaluation. I'm not playing here at this level. So let's go a level I can play. I mean, we've seen guys when I when I was younger, uh, early in my career, you see guys that had great careers after they said, I'm not quite good enough for this level, but I think I can play here. And then they played there and then maybe got better and then ultimately played some pro ball. We saw guys, and I'm not thinking of anybody off the top of my head, but I know that that was reasonably common. But what's become a lot more common now is I'm not playing at this level. Clearly, it's not my fault. It's got to be the coach. And so I just go to another school similar and then they don't play there because it's not the level for them at this stage of their career. So I think Demise could definitely play a lot of places in division one. There's no doubt about that. He'd be a very good player, a huge get for a lot of, a lot of universities. And I hope he chooses one where he gets the opportunity to play right away. It's, you know, and I don't mean necessarily in the 2020, 2021 season. I mean, when he's eligible, that he doesn't have to sit and watch, that that when he's ready to go, that there's a spot in the lineup for him and he's ready to handle it. That, that That's the thing that I, I wish for a lot of players who decide to transfer after not getting much playing time. And unfortunately, I don't see that happen very often. 
And um, Porter Moser does a good job up there at Loyola. Um, I know um, he's taken a local kid from um, Indiana, played at Indianapolis, University of Indianapolis D2, transferred in, and, and is now playing his junior year, uh, Tate Hall. And so, uh, and Porter does a good job, and that's a nice level of basketball. Um, but that might be the level that Demisi has. Indiana, what's that mean for Indiana? Um, the open up a roster spot, or does it hurt Indiana, or is it just something that was kind of good for both sides? I think Indiana had had recruited to fill that position. I mean, the the high school kids that they got uh, all basically play that spot. They might be smaller, but it, you know, Brian, the, the the two and the three spot now are interchangeable. Um, you you the way you play uh, doesn't make a difference at all. It may, it, you know, it may help you relative to an opponent to have a bigger player at that spot in particular circumstances, but. Uh, by and large, they're the same spot. I don't think Demisi was ever quite, you know, I mean, I think it, like at a Loyola or somewhere like that, he could be a stretch four. Uh, I think he'd have a chance to do that. It's at, at that, at the, at the, uh, the Valley level, the Mac level, something like that. It might be something that he could do and do well. Uh, but he, he wasn't going to be able to do that in the Big Ten. And he just didn't have quite the Jets necessary to be a great three man. I mean, you look at him compared to Justin Smith. And although he he was a better shooter, I mean, you know, Justin, in terms of uh, dynamism, is just not even comparable. And that's the kind of player uh, that you would want to have out there, or at least somewhere comparable to Justin. I mean, not you're not going to have the A plus athlete at every time, but uh, I, I think the comp- comparison that the two of them shows you what was lacking for Demisi. But the, they're bringing in high school players, multiple high school players who uh, can fill the wing spots. Uh, if they're able to get to the position uh, where uh, where you're looking at uh, having uh, Christian Lander uh, come in, uh, you can play him at the second guard spot, play two point guards. And so then again, you're not lacking anything in terms of wing uh, perimeter depth. So I, I you know, I, I, they, they are fine in terms of that position with him departing. So does someone like Demise, where do you stand on the recent NCAA coming out? And they kind of, they may change it, they may not, but the, the recent Board of Regents a suggestion, whatever that title group was, kind of said no to the automatic waiver the one time you get to play immediately. Uh, where do you stand on a, a player having to sit out for a year? Are there some exceptions, as you say, maybe a good decision to move down a level, should play, maybe not? Where do you stand on the, the one-year um requirement to sit out for transfers? I, I stand in opposition to almost everyone who does what I do for a living. I believe that the rule is a reasonable rule. I think it's a, I think it's a rule that benefits the athlete in far more circumstances than it, than it's a negative factor. And I, I do believe that the absence of that, uh, the absence of that will lead to lesser outcomes athletically and academically. Uh, I mean, let's just use Demisi as an example. And I, I don't even know who's recruiting him. But let's say that one year automatic you can play deal was in place next next fall. Well, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a high major, I'm looking at Demisi and I've got a position, I've got a spot, and I just need somebody to come and take three shots for me a game. Hey, you could do worse than Demisi. So I get so I say, okay, hey, come on here, we'll take you. Um, you can play for us. And then I play Demisi 11 minutes a game to get those three shots. I get him open. I work hard to get him open. He makes a couple. He doesn't. 
it's, he's, he's, if he makes two or three in a row, I might play him a few more minutes, but he's not playing 20 for me. And, and then when I'm done with him that year, I'm probably recruiting a better player. And, and that's, I don't want to see that happen to young people. And I know it will. I, I, I don't want to cast any aspersions on college coaches, but they're, they're, they want to win games. And so if you're going to be leaving them, they're going to have to fill holes, and that's going to be something they have to do. As of now, the way things have worked for the last 50, 60, however many years it's been, if I want Demisi as a transfer, I have to invest a full year in him where he cannot help me in a game at all. He can help me in practice. He make my practices better. But for a full year, he cannot help me at all. And so I have to be serious about him making my team better in order to make that massive investment in him. Because you're giving up one thirteenth of your roster for a full year where he can't help you. Additionally, in almost every circumstance, it's not universal, but it's, it's nearly universal. When you transfer from school to school, you lose credits. That year in residence gives you the opportunity to make up and in most cases, get ahead, but at least make up the, the credits you lose so that you can remain on track for graduation. So all of that, I mean, if you look at the player who transfers in the year in residence rule as it is now, you get summer school on the front end, the year that you're sitting out, summer school on the back end, you can get way ahead. It's almost impossible not to graduate in that circumstance. I mean, you have to try not to. So I, I, again, I think the current rule is beneficial to the athlete. The, the analogy I use, Brian, is I like candy way too much. I could eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if it didn't, you know, if it wasn't going to be bad for me. But it is bad for me. So you, not everything that you want is good for you. Right. And you know, guys don't want to, and, and, and young women either, don't want to have to sit out a full year. It hurts. Uh, they they want to compete. That's what they do. They, they're competitors. They want to play. But it's not always the best circumstance for you to do that. In most cases, it's not the best circumstance. And so you get the, you get the occasion to sit out. You get to become adjusted to your program, adjusted to your surroundings, adjusted academically. And then when you're ready to play, you're hungry to go. And we've seen tons of transfers have wonderful careers. But I think we would have a lot fewer circumstances of those if we were to go to immediate eligibility. You know, you bring up an interesting thing that I'm going to think a lot about is from the coach's vantage point of investing a year in a transfer, you better be serious as a coach instead of just bringing someone in to fill a need for that year and then recruiting over them later uh, to protect the athlete. That, that That's a really excellent point. Mo- moving on to the next Indiana thing, Justin Smith, we found out last week, put his name in to the NCAA or to the NBA draft, along with, I think, a 206 total people, including international players. Your thoughts about Justin Smith and and doing that, what, what's the pros, what's the benefits for Justin doing that, and what's the likelihood that uh, he, he comes back to Indiana next year, in your opinion? Well, I, I think the likelihood that he comes back, if he has left the door open, so the likelihood it comes back is about 100%. I mean, because, uh, he, he, first of all, I am a huge believer, and not all college coaches agree with me, so I don't know, always agree with them on everything. Um, I'm a huge believer in the year, the opportunity to, to test the waters, as we say. Uh, that going through, that I, I've always used two comparisons. 
One is it's kind of like a summer internship. Now, it's a little bit abbreviated relative to a summer internship, but it's kind of like that because you go from your college world out into the real working world and you see this is what it is. This is how they look at you. This is what they want to see. This is what they expect of you. You have to be professional in your presentation. Uh, when you when you go to the combine uh, and and are interviewed, or you go to the workouts, you don't go in there, you know, uh, uh, with you know having misbehaved uh, and 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 you know and 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 slacking off. And I mean, you got to go in there professionally because you're trying to impress the NBA. And so you get all of this experience, and you get if you know if you get invited to a workout, an individual workout, or the combine, you get to go through that and understand what it is about. And, and so that to me is a little bit like the first time you take the SAT. Uh, first time you take the SAT, you, you want to find like, what is this test? I mean, what do they expect? What do they, what do they want you to know? How, what's, how does it work? And for a lot of students, I'm probably a majority that take it multiple times. The first attempt is rarely the best attempt. The second attempt, once you know the parameters of the test, generally scores go up. So that's kind of as well what the draft process is. You go through the workouts the first time. You maybe don't know exactly what to expect. People tell you, but it's different to go through it. Just as you can take the SAT practice test before you take the real thing, but it's still not the same as actually going through that for four hours or six hours or however long it lasts. And so it's it's that experience of having done it that helps you. So, so I'm a big believer in that. So Justin Smith goes, and, and this is a, the pandemic and the, the orders are, are changing minute by minute and all that. You know, they used to be able to go get workouts and travel and, and maybe get invited to the combine. What does Justin Smith learn uh, that will help him that's, be an in, so that's, Indiana that's the player? What everything I just set up is yeah. this year doesn't happen. I mean, I talked to two NBA executives last week, team executives, that basically said there is no process this year. And we don't know exactly when they'll hold the draft. At this point, they've taken it off their schedule. They've taken the lottery off their schedule, I think. Maybe not the draft quite yet. Um, I think they should, frankly, go ahead with both, uh, as you know, the NFL did. Um, I, I, I think that they might as well just go ahead and get the ratings. It's like the worst draft class in history. So if you can get ratings for this guy, for this bunch of guys, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it, I, I think they should. Uh, go ahead. But in any case, they're, they're, there's no way they're going to get to a process. They're not going to be flying guys in to work out for them during the, the middle of this one. They still are trying to work out where they can actually get games going. So I, I, I don't think Justin gets anything out of this. You can get an evaluation from the advisory board, whether you, know, whether you file or not. I mean, if, if you're sitting there after the season and you say, I want to get an evaluation, the advisory board will give it to you. And the advisory board, the way it's constructed, there are there are members of all 30 teams. So it's not like two, three teams that are, you know, sticking their thumb on the scale. I mean, it's 30 teams. They can't fudge it because there's 30 teams weighing it out. So it's a real evaluation. And I'm sure Justin already knows what it would be. And if there were a process, and even if they said you're not going to be picked, if there were a process, I'd still say go. I mean, you maybe get a workout with the Pacers not going to hurt you. You might get invited to combine. Probably not, but you might go for it, but it's not there. So I think that it's kind of a waste of time for him and for almost anyone that's testing the waters. Basically all you did was, you know, I'm testing the waters. 
I'm back. I mean, there, there's really not much else to it. So, sometimes in, in coaching, players need a, a second voice, though, <laughs> at times, too. So I'm hoping maybe that just, again, trying to go, and then all of a sudden you're told maybe some of the same things that Archie and staff are, are telling the young man that he needs to work on to improve. Uh, sometimes players need uh, multiple avenues uh, to, to, to get their improvement message. And I think he's a great example. I mean, you've seen him. If he play, Justin, I say it every time I watch him. If Justin wanted to be the best defender in the Big Ten, if not beyond, absolutely could be. All he would have to do is say, I want to be the best defender and then and then follow the rules. And I, I mean, I'm not saying he'd be Kenyon Martin, but I knew Kenyon really well. I covered his entire college career at Cincinnati. And Kenyon was someone who was very effective as a player his sophomore and junior year, but never dominant. I mean, almost never like like he he might have an influence on a game, but he was almost never a dominant player. And then he went to USA basketball to the World University Games in would have been 1999. And he went out to the trials and he looked around the gym. He started playing. He's like, oh, my God, I'm better than everybody here. What am I doing? Why am I averaging 10 and eight? I'm better than everyone here. So then he goes to the World University Games. He leads the team in scoring and not by a million points or whatever, because those teams are always kind of balanced, but he was the leading scorer. And I think the leading rebounder and they won the gold. Um, And then he comes back and one day before practice, I I think it was the wooden award or maybe the Naismith sent out a press release and he was nominated. And I took the press release in my hand and I showed it to him and I said, what do you think? And he said, I'm going to win that award. It was a complete 180 from who he had been as a, player the three prior years he now had confidence and belief in who he was so if somebody tells Justin what I say all the time on the air what I say all the time here and he hears it from somebody who's an NBA person if you want to be this player you absolutely have the ability to do it maybe he takes it to heart but comes back and becomes the the Big Ten defensive player of the year that'd be awesome And that would be great for all of the Indiana fans listening in. Let's transition to uh, Christian Lander, a um, five-star young man who's trying to reclassify to to the year of uh, 2020 so he can play next year. Uh, A couple things. First of all, just the impact of bringing in a point guard who is like 9th, 10th, 11th on some rating uh, scales for the class of 2021. What kind of impact do you think that makes on Indiana's roster for next year? Well, I, it gives them the opportunity uh, to play both point guards at the same time. Robert Finnessy, presumably healthy now with two years experience in the program, knows exactly what the coach wants. Again, another player who has the ability to be elite at the defensive end and exceptional at the offensive end, but who hasn't had the, either the opportunity or the circumstance where he could be consistent at that. Um, so I, I think he comes back and maybe that pushes him a little bit to be better because he knows that they have an option that's very gifted uh, that they can play either beside him or in, in place of him. And so maybe he ups his game a little bit. And then obviously to, to have two great ball handlers on the floor, to have two great initiators on the floor at the same time, I, as long as, and we know Robert can make a shot and we'll have to see, you know, certainly uh, Lander come in and, and show that he can make shots. But if you, if you have both of those guys that can attack and, and make shots, I mean, it just gives you so much flexibility with your offense. We've seen a lot of teams that have had great success 
Louisville in 2013 with Peyton Seaman, Russ Smith is an example off the top of my head where they had multiple guys who can initiate offense. Russ was a little shaky in his junior year still. He still was, he still was rusticulous at times, but he could take the ball and make something happen. I think he got fouled 200 sometimes his senior year uh, or went to the free throw line for 240 or 250 free throws his senior year. Those kinds of things really damage defenses. So having both of them, I think, uh, would be a, an occasion where you could do a lot of things, and uh, you know you can it, it, that you can give. Uh, you know, if Robert proves himself to be a thirty-minute player, which by his junior year he should be with his talent, you know, then you can play Christian for the other ten minutes. You can play them together for ten or fifteen. It really gives you a lot of positional and offensive flexibility. So if he's able to pull this off, it really could energize next year's Hoosiers. Yeah, I think Archie wants to get a little more transition game going. It seems like that way it's been a struggle to get that transition part of his philosophy going in the first three years that with two point guards, and especially someone with the quickness of Lander, that they could really start up in that and, and maybe help Indiana uh, win a few more games along that line. But reclassifying in general uh, – Indiana fans, we just pay attention to the Indiana recruits that might do it. Race Thompson did it a few years ago and then took a redshirt year. In, in your mind, does reclassifying uh, a good idea? I know a lot of teen, kids play up in AAU, so they're used to different levels of competition early, but the college game is so different. Um, is, there a, a, is a point guard versus a post player more likely to transition to college? What are your thoughts on reclassifying to graduate early and come to college early for high school players? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, especially, I mean, especially in an era when a lot of, a lot of young people start school later than they used to. I mean, when I say start school, I'm talking about all the way back to kindergarten, start later than they used to. I mean, um, I have family members who uh, didn't basically start first grade until they were almost seven or seven. And, you know, when my wife went to uh, started uh, first grade in, um, in her time, she was five. I mean, she turned six two months later, but she was five years old. And so that doesn't happen anymore. So, so if you get to this point um, and you're, you know, you're physically mature, you've played a lot of basketball. If you're in position academically that you can finish, you're probably a pretty good student. And so I don't think that there's anything problematic about that at all. I think there, we've seen players, um, that have done that, that have had significant success over the past four or five years. I, I it's, it, you know, each one's an individual case and that's the case relative to the student and to the school as well. But I don't think it's necessarily a problematic thing. And I do agree with you that you're more than like, you're more likely to be able to impact the game as a guard than as a, uh, than as a big man. Uh, but we've seen, Big guys do this. I'm pretty sure Matt Marvin Bagley reclassified, and he was a first team All American. Mm-hmm. So I, I, it's it's doable for a lot of people. But again, it's it's each individual case. You you have to be ready to do it. So those were the three most pressing things, Indiana fans, in this time where uh, one basketball is normally down a little bit. But um, uh, we'll wait to see. You know, obviously Justin is likely to be back unless he's just ready to go to Europe or something like that. But we believe he'll be back. Uh, we wish Demise Anderson well, and we hope uh, Christian uh, can complete his uh, classes and come play with TJD next year and, and make uh, Indiana even more deep. But let's go to a national thing uh, that has really hit the, you know, 
airwaves this year and in the last two weeks, and that's name, image, and likeness. And, Mike, in the Sporting News, you had two excellent articles, and I encourage anyone listening to go find those and read those. One was called Clearing Up the Biggest Misconceptions About the New NIL NIL Rules for Student-Athlete Payments, and another one was Five Takeaways from NCAA's Move Toward Allowing College Athletes to be paid for name, image, and likeness. And I don't necessarily expect you to go over those articles in, in detail, uh, but how is this – I'm painting it in Indiana first. How does this help Indiana University that athletes can get paid, or does it not help Indiana University uh, attract talent, keep talent, whatever? How does that impact Indiana first, and then we can maybe transition into the national thought process? I think the way it helps Indiana is in the fact that there is a there is a passionate following. The, the, the existence of Assembly Call is evidence of a passionate following for IU basketball that is not common. I'm not saying it's non-existent in other places, but it's uncommon. Uh, not everybody has a, a situation like this, uh, like podcast on the brink. Uh, uh, the, the, it's, it's a, you know, it shows that there is a reservoir of interest for IU basketball that uh, some other programs can't match. And so one would assume that if that, if there's that market that is interested in IU basketball results, but that, that, that market also would be predisposed to responding to IU basketball players recommendations on Instagram or a commercial uh, endorsement uh, I don't know let's just say for a local pizza place uh, you know uh, a, a Joe point guard for IU says I love this pizza uh, or, uh, or or a business endeavor that uh, the, the like a like a shooting camp that you know that maybe Jordan Halls would have started back when he was at IU um, I think Jordan could have done that. I mean, obviously he, he had the, he had the, he had the uh, game to do it. Uh, and I think he had the name rec to do it based on his high school and college career. Uh, and I think he could have done that if it's something he wanted an endeavor he wanted to take uh, because of uh, where he was. Whereas he, if he'd gone to some other schools, he might not have been able to, to get that same response. So I think all those areas are, are places where, IU might be rewarded if this were to be the case. And what I mean by that is when, when the, when the um, committee members who formulated the uh, proposal that the board of uh, directors endorsed last week, uh, one of the things they said was that they don't want it to be involved in the recruiting process. And what they meant by that was they don't want Mike DeCourcy, the Chevy dealer, to be sitting next to Coach Jones from State U saying, hey, if you sign here, here's what we're going to pay you. Here's the commercials you're going to do. No, we don't want that. But they're not saying that if, uh, you know, Mike DeCourcy, the, the Chevy, Chevy dealer, had paid the last guy who played that position to do those things, that the kid's not going to be aware of that. I mean, you know, I mean, they're going to people are going to be aware of things like just as they're going to be aware that maybe the last point guard to play at Kentucky was John Wall and he made a hundred million dollars or whatever. I mean, they're going to be aware, but they just don't want anybody explicitly to promise. This is what you get if you come here. And they also don't want, if I am, if I am the car dealer and I hire 
a guy from the Pacers and pay him, I don't know, let's say 15 grand for an appearance. I don't know what an appearance would be for a pro, but let's say 15 grand. Um, and then I go and hire an, uh, a, you know, a, a basketball player from the same locale, a college basketball player and pay him 50 grand or 75. I mean, that's when they talk about fair market value, that's what they're talking about. They're, they, they don't want this, you know, this obvious buying players thing just through a different avenue to happen. I, I, a lot of people in my business were complaining that it was, you know, oh, how could they say fair market value? That's not an open market. Well, it's obvious why they're saying that, because they want fair market value. They don't want inflated market value. They're all they're totally cool with, you know, you're you're you know, you're a college athlete, you have uh a certain amount of cachet, but you don't have more cachet than the guys that the guy that plays in the NBA. Come on, no one's kidding anybody. You don't. So don't get don't get this super inflated number because you know the the car dealer or, or the restaurant owner or whatever is trying to help out good old state you that's all they're saying it, it doesn't mean that the the value for an iu player is that fifteen thousand, but a, a a drexel player is four thousand do they are they going to try to keep it fair across the ncaa board um and well you know i mean you i think that? it depends on the drexel player i mean mm-hmm. I, I, let's go back to malik rose last i don't no mean to pick on drexel i have nothing to, you yeah, know no, but, but i mean let's just use him as an example he was a great player in college so Maybe he could command that. Um, but I, I do think that they want it to be in proportion, uh, relative, you know, relative to what the celebrity at the highest level would be paid. They don't want you to be paid you know, three, two, three times as much because they're clearly just trying to funnel you money because you're playing for the college that they boost. That's not what they want. And so I, I think that's a reasonable expectation. I thought a lot of the criticisms of – this situation were unfair. The one thing that that was a fair, the uh, fair uh, alarm bell or whatever was there was a line or, or a paragraph in the document that the working group produced about what to do about shoe company endorsements, athletic apparel company endorsements. They don't really know what to do. They, they put a little thing in there about should we allow athletes to do that, given that we had this FBI thing a year ago? I think that was kind of like a, maybe a sort of a trial balloon of, of how do we keep that out? Because we have already got all these school wide deals. Um, can we have them conflicting? I think they would rather not. But I don't know. Ultimately, they can stop that. I mean, if in the middle of Zion's year at Duke last year, if Nike had said, okay, we get it. Um, and we want Zion and we're going to offer him this deal. I don't think that they could have stopped it. I mean, it obviously it was the same company that as he was with, uh, so it wouldn't have been as problematic, but I don't think they could have stopped it. And I don't think they would have stopped it. Uh, if, if Nike had said, okay, we want to lock up Zion. Now we know like this thing is huge. He is going to, going to be huge. I don't think they either could have or would have stopped it because they said there's no cap on earnings. It would have been a huge number. Uh, and, and I, you know, whether it would have been huger if he'd waited till the end of the season, I don't think that, you know, offered the amount of money that Nike probably would have been willing to offer Zion midway through last year uh, that uh, he would have said no. So I, I, I just don't think that the proposals that the committee put forth were as problematic as some in government 
and some in the media suggest. And I thought it was a reasonable framework for the NCAA to build on. And I think what they come up with ultimately by the time they get through the legislative process will be mostly fair. And I, I'm of one that thinks it's going to benefit Indiana because of the name recognition. And there are probably more at opportunities for athletes to get name, image, and likeness at an Indiana than other schools, as you said, with the variety of, of coverage and shows of that. And I, I'm also wondering if it keeps people in college. Um, you know, one of the things is the G League, and they were recruiting the, the, the young man from UCLA for this developmental league, and a lot of people either like that or don't like that. But maybe if kids um, can see that they're building a brand, you know, Michael Jordan played three years uh, at North Carolina, Patrick Ewing four, as I started going back and watching some old old games uh, during the the quarantine here, I started realizing that some of these players played three or four years and their brand was fantastic. And I actually think you build a brand and Jared says this a lot uh, on our shows that you build a brand by staying one place and having a following. uh, And if you're good, that, that maybe if you make some money along the way, we, we get it doesn't hurt college basketball. It actually might help college basketball. Am I uh, wrong on that? No, I don't think you are. I, I do think that uh, I, I think that there would be less inclination to say, "Okay, I've been here three years. Um, probably not a first round pick. I'll just go ahead and p- go play pro somewhere so I can make some money." Well, you're already making money more than likely if you're doing it right. Uh, so you don't have to do that to go to go. Uh, you don't have to go play pro to make some money. You might even make less, and certainly you'd probably have to travel a lot farther afield to make anything. If you're, you know, if you're talking about either having to go to Erie to play for the Bayhawks in the G League, or if you're having to go to uh, Lithuania to play in their pro league or whatever. So I, I think that uh, it will keep some in school. Now, there is a condition in the in that proposal that I'm sure will stand when they're done. And that is the coach can't go and say, hey. I want you to stay. We'll get you an endorsement contract over here to make, you know, you can't do that. Um, it had, you know, it, it has to be organic. And so uh, I, you know, the coach might be able to say, Hey, you're already making this much money. They could say that because it's a fact, but they can't say, Hey, if you stay, I'll get you hooked up. They don't want that. And I think that's reasonable as well. So last thing, and we'll try to make this quick. It's probably a, a show on its own. Uh, you know, Indiana, uh, called itself in 2006 2007 over some phone calls that you know i do see where the ncaa is correct in doing and putting some regulations on this but the ncaa uh and how they evaluate rule breakers has always been a, a question for many of us to discuss and louisville was hit with their um notice of allegations today and it always sticks with indiana fans that that we took a, what we think is a high road and, and called ourselves in and basically had to dismantle the program in 2008 and 2009, and, and, and Coach Crean had a tough time getting it back up uh, and did a good job of doing that, that a lot of these places are lawyering up and denying, 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 and delaying and delaying and, and coming away without necessarily massive penalties. Is that just a crimson uh, colored glasses, Brian Tonsoni, or is there some uh, realism to, to that comment? And then we'll let you go for the day. Yeah, you know, I think that, honestly, I, I thought that Indiana uh, at the time totally miscalculated its own um, community. Uh, there was still uh, a residual, I, I don't want to use this word incorrectly, bitterness over uh, what happened with Coach Knight among many of his ardent followers. And they were many and they were very ardent. And I, I, so at that point, they, they, there was still that. Uh, lingering feeling uh, at six years later. 
and to then go ahead and hire a coach who had an active uh, active NCAA infractions case again in, in place that was being adjudicated against his former program just made no sense. I mean, it, it was a t- complete miscalculation of, of, of his community. And so it was likely that anything that went wrong in that regard, once he was in place, was going to create an outsized reaction uh, it, within the university community. And that's exactly what happened. The, the reaction to what occurred at IU was outsized. And then and it all ended up uh, damaging the program for a period of, for a number of years, basically a five year period, almost half a decade. Um, and, and so that's, you know, so that's what I look at. I, I don't know that, uh, that Indiana handled the case wrong so much as they handled the hiring wrong. And I, I say this with great respect for Kelvin as a basketball coach and as a person, but you know, a lot of places could have hired Kelvin and dealt with the, previous case and in the event that another case arose would have dealt fine with it. But Indiana was not that place at that time. And so it was a very poor decision to move in that direction, given the, given the circumstances of coach Knight's departure. And then given the circumstances that had existed at Oklahoma in the latter stage of Kelvin's time there. So I, I, I think you have to separate that out from the way it was actually processed. I don't know whether if he had gone and had done the exact same thing at, let's say, Houston uh, at the time, I don't know that the reaction would have been the same within the university's athletic department or the university's fan base. And so I don't know that the damage that was visited upon Indiana as a result would have been the same. So uh, real quick, and I want to let you go here, but Louisville, um, is it going to are they going to get hit hard or, or are they going to be able to, to slide away getting rid of Coach Patino and, and, and making that stick? Um, you, your quick thoughts, because uh, I, I, we're about at the, the time to say good, goodbye here. Yeah, you know, I'm working on that now. And it's really hard for me to come up with an appropriate punishment in this circumstance. Because the first thing you have to remember is that everyone – that was basically in the program at the time this happened. Almost everyone at the upper echelon of the athletic, I mean, new athletic director now. Uh, they, they, the, the athletic director and they parted not long after this arose. Uh, coach Patino, they parted not long after this arose. Two assistant coaches parted not long after this arose. A university president who had put the athletic department in place and, uh, and presided over it for a while had left about a year earlier. Uh, and so they have a new university president. So it's basically you're punishing the building and the fans. I mean, the people who are there now had no affiliation. There's one player who was on the roster when Rick was dismissed, who's left in the program. And he, and he never practiced or played a game for Rick. Uh, and so all of it's all changed around. And so I, I wonder what's appropriate in this circumstance. I, I, the one thing I would say is that I thought when when the previous scandal happened, the one that was in the book about the uh, exotic dancers inside the basketball dorm uh, for working for um, recruits and, and players at the time, some players, um, I thought that it was – I really had a problem with the way Louisville gamed the system in assigning its own tournament ban – I hate that with every fiber of my being. I think I, I don't think that should be permitted. 
Um, and so I, I won't feel bad to an extent if, if that, you know, if they get another year or something like that, even though I don't know that it's fair to the current players or the current coach coaches, because they didn't have any affiliation with this. Uh, some will say, well, they knew it was going to be a problem when they took it. Yes. But again, who are you punishing and what are you trying to accomplish? That's my question. If the, if what you're trying to accomplish is to get the people away who were, um, who were, allegedly involved in these activities, you've already accomplished that. So don't know what will happen for sure. And some of it still depends on how the case is adjudicated. They have two panels now, the old committee on infractions and this new outside group that they have. I don't know what's going, I don't know. I don't know whether there's been an agreement made relative to how Louisville's case will be processed. So it's really hard to get a read on how it'll be handled. Well, Mike, uh, thank you for taking time on this Monday to talk a little bit about Indiana basketball, some some pressing issues in the NCAA. And, again, go um, to the Sporting News and, and read some articles. The articles, all the articles are really good, but especially the ones that helped me understand the, the recent decisions from the NCAA board of directors that, that made some suggestions on transfers. So go go find that and, and then check back next Monday uh, when Mike joins us here on Banner Monday. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Brian. It was a fun. I appreciate it. Okay, be safe. And once again, uh, make sure you turn tune in Thursday night for Assembly Call Radio. Look for uh, the Crimson Cast podcast to, to be associated with and on the Assembly Call webpage. Look to join our community for a lot of uh, discussions, and we have some, uh, some virtual meetups, uh, happy hours happening. Uh, that's Assembly Call uh, community. Uh, go to the community tab and see how to join that community. Uh, We will be back on Thursday with more Indiana basketball. Have a great week. Schools, families, and government leaders are finally on alert over teen vaping. But before we can solve it, we need to understand it. One, the draw is flavors. 97% of kids who vape use flavors. Two, kids often don't know they're vaping nicotine, let alone a concentrated formula. Three, nicotine's addictive, and it's also a neurotoxin that can increase teen anxiety. Nicotine is brain poison, and flavor is the hook. Do something at flavorshookkids.org. Real estate agents can get full visibility into their clients' loan status and help them get to closing faster with Rocket Pro Insight. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate. Offer cost information conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. MLS consumeraccess.org number 33.